Well, this morning, I want to invite you to open in God's Word to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And we've been walking kind of slowly through Philippians, looking at specific sections and passages. And so today, in this theme, this overall theme that we see in the book of Philippians of humility, humility, I acknowledge that joy is a theme that we see all through Philippians and and to be joyful always and and rejoicing in trials and difficulties and all those things. But humility seems to be an aspect of what it means to be a Christian that Paul is putting forward even in his introduction. Paul and Timothy's servants of Christ Jesus. And I think that we need to rekindle the humility that is ours in Christ And I believe that God desires to accomplish that through the preaching of his word through Philippians. And so today, we're going to talk about a a, a, a humble focus. A a, a humble focus that I think that we need to rekindle. We've talked about different aspects of humility. But there is a focus that in our humility needs to be lived out. And it's going to be a humility that really characterizes us but with razor clarity. And there's something really really important that happens in the life of any individual when they come into that moment of realizing this is what my life is about that 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 this breakthrough clarity i'm so thankful for um for for one of our students in our in our student ministry uh for for benjamin joseph um he nominated uh me to be during the pastor appreciation month on life songs uh, to win tickets to a concert and we won and we got to go to a concert last night in baton rouge thanks to benjamin calling in um, over in baton rouge to hear zach williams um, who you, you can hear on the radio with dolly parton in case you know you were like which song is that one um you know and anyway so he was there dolly wasn't um but but anyway, but he shared his story about this moment of just unbelievable breakthrough clarity that gave him absolute focus on what he was supposed to do. I mean, literally, he picked up a guitar one day because his sports career as a hopeful basketball player was, was ruined. And the moment he touched the guitar, he knew with razor clarity, this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, literally just holding the guitar, and now here he is touring in, in, in Baton Rouge last night at the River Center. And so anyway, so, you know, it's one of those moments where clarity sometimes can just define your life. And I'm convinced that Paul had discovered such clarity, but he didn't want it to stop with him. He, he wasn't just standing before you and I as the people of God to say, guess what I figured out? Guess what the purpose of my life is? No, he's standing before us to say, brothers and sisters, this is what the focus of our lives is to be. And, and when it comes into this sort of focus, it's going to give clarity to everything else in your life. Everything else. And that's the case for Zach Williams. Um, it, it, it wasn't until Christ became his focus that then it gave real focus to his, his music into his life, into what would become his career as a Christian artist. And so this morning, I, wanna, I want you to turn and to look and, and, and see in verse 27. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We honor God. But I, I want you to capture this, this, this real focus that Paul gives us. And, and this focus is going to carry down into chapter 2. But he is wanting you to focus in this moment. And so hear God as he speaks now in this way. Just one thing, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just one thing, 
as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction to them, but of your salvation, and this from God. For it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaging in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Father, I pray this morning that this one thing, just one thing, will consume our focus, will define our lives. That as citizens of heaven, we will live our lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Just one thing. Live your lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as citizens of heaven. Now, it's a great moment for us to be able to step into the first century context by stepping into something that we just celebrated on Friday, Veterans Day. In fact, if you are a veteran, if you've served in military service in our country, would you just stand for a moment? We want to recognize and thank you for your service. So, so grateful. Thank you for your service. We honor you today. And Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, which would have been, a, in many ways, a veteran community. These were people of Rome that uniquely were identified for their allegiance to Rome. In fact, in some ways, Rome... Philippi was thought to be somewhat of a retirement community, if you will, Florida, for Roman soldiers. And so it's one of those places where a lot of people went, and, and it was known for its allegiance to Rome. And so Paul, in this moment, is tapping into something cultural that would have been important to them, their identity as Roman citizens, their allegiance to the state, their regard for the emperor, their valor in battle, their, their, their duty fulfilled, all of these things he was tapping into and then saying, hey, but remember, you're also citizens of heaven. And there is a citizenship that we have now that should be carried out with all dignity. He's speaking to people. I mean, notice, I didn't have to even ask you to clap when our veterans stood. You, you didn't have to be trained in that moment to say, are we supposed to honor these guys or not? No, we know. It's part of our American culture that we honor those in uniform. We thank God for their service. We treat them with respect. And then after someone has left active duty, we continue to honor them. And so Paul is tapping into this. And he's not doing it in a disparaging way. Notice that he doesn't say, you're not citizens of Rome. You're citizens of heaven. He doesn't say that there is no dual citizenship. In fact, he's in the, somewhat the position he's in because he has appealed to Rome. He, he has put forward his own Roman citizenship. We see this happening at different places in the book of Acts that when the, the authorities have in mind to do something to him because they're thinking he's not a Roman citizen, he says, I actually am a Roman citizen. Is it okay to flog somebody before a trial that's a Roman citizen? And this causes somewhat of a panic. 
In fact, later on we see the one saying, you know, this man could be released if he had not appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. So it's not that Paul is saying, I have no Roman citizenship, but he is putting something else as primary. This is important. This is important for you and I to understand as believers today who appreciate and value a nation, America, if you're an American citizen, and if you are someone that's from another nation, we expect for you as Americans to have the same loyalty to your home nation. Especially if you're here as an international student, we welcome you, but we understand what it is to celebrate a nationality, uh, uh, to, to be behind your military and to support those that are making that sacrifice and all of these sorts of things. But what unites us is a king that is above all kings, a name that is above all names. That's how then we in this room as Nigerians and those from Rwanda and Kenya and Ghana and other nations can gather in and from India into this room and all together say we are citizens together of one kingdom. We together, even though we have different nationality, different skin color, different dialect, voices, I mean, uh, accents to our voices, all of these things, we can gather together and all together say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what Paul is tapping into. And so listen, he's not at odds with your love for soldiers. He's not at odds with your wanting to support those that have served and honoring them as we just did in this moment. But he is all about you getting one thing right. That in every situation, in every moment of your life, you are a citizen of heaven. And your citizenship as a heavenly resident should be displayed with all honor at all moments. That's what he's driving at. That's what he wants us to see. And so as he's pushing into this and he's tapping into something that's cultural in the first century, that's cultural for us today... What does it look like then for us to live today as citizens of heaven worthy of the gospel of Christ? What does that look like? Well, we only have to keep looking down in the text. He, 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 on the way there, he says, Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord. This is how we are supposed to stand firm. We are to be of the same conviction now, he doesn't say the same opinion about every matter. He, he doesn't say you have to think the exact same way about every political or social issue. No, when he says, be of standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And what he begins to unpack for us is what it means for us to have a convictional stand together that is united, that is of one spirit. Can I just tell you, that becomes one of the most attractive aspects of the power of the gospel in our day today. That when men and women, boys and girls who hold different political opinions, that have different ideas about social issues and things like that, when they can all come together in a true unity over something, treating one another with the highest regard, not dismissing one another, not belittling one another, not maligning one another, but instead with all dignity, with all honor, treating one another as higher than ourselves. That speaks a powerful message of the power of the gospel in a cultural moment in which there is rampant division. 
So we look and we see that we are called to stand firm in one spirit. We are to be of one conviction. And that conviction is to be seen in this, first of all, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Contending together for the faith of the gospel. This is why the word must be supreme. And doctrine so important in the life of the church. You see, we will not have any unified conviction. We'll have strong opinions. And you can see those strong opinions all over social media feeds and Twitter feeds and Instagram. And even in yard signs in front of yards and all those kind of things. You can see lots of opinions. But what does it mean to be of a strong conviction? What Paul is driving this community back to over and over again is the scriptures. You see, something that we don't really catch when we read through books of the Bible like Philippians and some of his other letters is that many times it seems, a lot of our Old Testament scholars will tell us, it almost looks like Paul is treating, preaching, if you will, an Old Testament passage. He's working his way through some ideas from a major prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Or even some of the the lesser known prophets, the minor prophets that we've looked at. That a lot of times it looks like when he's going through, even though not explicitly stated, it looks like he's actually dealing with some of these ideas and helping put flesh on the bones. Like what does it look like to live out the faith in this way? And so here in this place, there can be no question in our minds that what he is doing is he's pulling us back again to the scriptures because Paul is convinced and he puts forward that the scriptures were all pointing to Jesus Christ. And so they're not at odds. And the message that he proclaimed was Christ and Christ crucified. So he wants them to come back again and again and again to the gospel. But how can we be on the same page about the gospel if we don't turn together to common passages and consider what they say? So many times people will say to me, you know, like, all you got to have is Jesus. You just need Jesus. And then if you begin to explore, well, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus makes it happen. Makes what happen? Whatever your breakthrough needs to be. What if my breakthrough isn't God's will? Like, what if I'm considering the breakthrough to be a promotion at work that's going to ruin my life and family? Jesus is going to give you the breakthrough. What are we talking about? You see, that's the importance of coming back to the Word. The Word is how we know who Jesus is. Our culture will latch on to words like Jesus. Islam has latched on to the word Jesus And the message that it puts forward in the Quran about who Jesus is and what he has done is different than what this says about Jesus and what he has done. So it is important for us to understand that we have got to be a scripture first kind of people. We've got to be scripture fed. This is one of our core convictions because at least then we have the best chance that as as we lean into each other, And we talk about what does the word mean that we're at least going to the book versus just, well, I think this. Well, I think that. Well, I don't care what you think. Well, I don't care what you think. And then we just part off and we go to different classes or worse, we go to different churches. And we we, we never took time to go to the word. Now listen, even Satan knew scripture. That's an important thing for us to know. 
that we can't just say, well, it's just the Bible, because a lot of people take Bible verses out of their context and make them mean something they never meant. So we have to be on guard against that as well. And that's why doctrine, what does it teach? What are all these verses and different passages that all speak to the same issue? What do they collectively seem to be communicating? Doctrine becomes very important. So we have to be people of God who are looking at his word and discerning doctrine together in community, corporately. Because if we don't, and brothers and sisters, we will not contend for the gospel at all. Because we won't even be on the same page about what the gospel is. And so therefore, anytime somebody comes along and blows a message about what the gospel is, we'll say, well, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, I can, I can live with that. I can go along with that. And before we know it, we've lost the gospel and we're no longer contending for the gospel. We are contending with each other. And we are to be contending in this passage together for the faith of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, lean in to God's word together. Lean in to God's word together. That is going to be so important for our health as we go forward as faithful disciples. If we have any chance of reaching New Orleans and the nations with the gospel, we're going to have to contend for the faith of the gospel together. Second, standing firm in one spirit, not fearing. Notice what he says because, I mean, think about it. When you begin to contend for the gospel, what happens? You meet opposition, right? I mean, a lot of times that's where it it really starts to to get real in your life. When, When you start to put forward the name of Jesus, you start to kind of take a stand on an issue or on, a, on, on something that you feel like, well, no, because of my faith in Jesus, I can't do that. I, I can't say yes to that. I can't go along with that. And you begin to take that stand. Suddenly, you realize, I've got opponents. They're opposed to Christ, but man, it sure feels like they're opposed to me. And if you ask them, they don't like you. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation in this from God. In other cultures, and this is one of the great values of doing global missions. When we go to other cultures and you begin to know about other nations and how things are done and some of the opposition that they face when it comes to the gospel, you begin to realize just how important and powerful the gospel is and just how many compromises you and I often make. I remember when we went over just recently to North Africa and we were there and we were visiting with a man that has been a believer for probably as long as I've been alive, since the early 80s. And as we sat with him, visiting with him and learning about his faith and what it's meant for him to be faithful to the gospel, we began to hear story after story from him sharing about times that his entire community, his, his village where he lived, where they would rise up against him and they would, they would arrest him and question him and interrogate him. And it was all because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. But there was not an ounce of fear on this man. Not an ounce. And even in those moments as he recounted, he, he, he spoke about it with a confidence that comes from the Lord. It wasn't a, a prideful confidence. It wasn't that confidence of nobody can touch me. He knew they could touch They had touched him. They had put him in jail. He had lost freedom. He was losing income. He could lose his business. He had been isolated from family. It wasn't that they couldn't touch him. It was that he knew 
that truly the one who had him was greater than the one that was at work in the world. I mean, he, he just knew, he was possessed by this knowledge that there is one that's greater right now at work that is taking care of me and will be with me always, even if I face death. Death was a real possibility. This part of North Africa doesn't see some of the extremism that we see in other places, but it has happened. People have lost their life for the faith. It doesn't happen as much as it does in some neighboring countries, but it's real. And this brother, not fearful at all, then began to walk in confidence. And as a result of that, others began to come to faith. And I'll tell you right now, as we walked with some of the younger believers, Noah and I being able to, to, to spend time with them, worship with them, talk about the word, hear their testimony, go with them as they began to share the faith with others. What we began to realize with them is that they had a confidence in the faith. And can I tell you, the missionary that we work with said that it was that believer that was helping so many of these younger guys to really find a confidence in the faith. To let them know, like, brothers, you're gonna be opposed. Brothers, it's gonna get real. It's gonna be difficult. You could lose this, all this, but it's going to be worth it. And can I just say to you today, you that have been walking with the Lord, you need to speak a message of encouragement to bring out the courage in the next generation. And part of that is by not growing weary in the season you're in. Please do not treat your faith as something you retire from. Please Please continue to walk with Jesus Christ until the day of your last breath. Please encourage me as a 42-year-old to keep going, to not give up. Because if those who have been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years, if they become quiet, if you become preoccupied with other things that, that, that are, are, are all of these other aspects of, of life, hobbies and, and travel and all of those things, things that are not bad in and of themselves. But if you stop talking about the faith, if you stop contending for the faith, then do not be surprised when you look at a generation behind you and they're pretty quiet. Please, please keep contending for the faith. It's a message to me. My children are watching me. Every generation is responsible to keep going with the faith, and to not be frightened in any way by their opponents. Listen, for you that are still in the workplace, I know, I know because I hear your testimony of how difficult it is. That there's policies and procedures and sensitivity things, like all of these different aspects that can make it so hard to be able to even crack open your mouth and say the word Jesus or Christian or faith, or pray, or anything even remotely close without fear of losing your job. You are not the first to walk that path. Your brothers and sisters right now in other cultures are walking that path with you, and you are walking it with them. So continue, please, to contend for the faith of the gospel, but listen, do not be frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation in this from God. And why? Because we are engaging in the same struggle that Paul had and, and is now having in this moment of writing this. He says, for it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. This is an aspect of our salvation that we've been given. 
that we don't often like to think about. You know, we like to think about, I've been given eternal life. I'll spend eternity with God in heaven, that he has a room prepared for me, that there'll be no more tears, no more suffering. And so we look forward to a heavenly escape from the suffering of this life. But that's not the only thing that you've been given. Paul says here, it's been given to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And he uses this word of of given. It's a, a, a gift. We say, no, thank you. Hard pass on that gift. But Paul knows because he has seen, he has seen through every missionary journey how God in this mysterious way is using suffering for Jesus. Not just suffering because Paul was making really bad mistakes. No, 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 no. There there is that suffering and God can redeem that. But a specific kind of suffering for Jesus. Because you've you've claimed his name, you're following his way and it's costing you. There's a suffering there that over and over and over again, those are the moments captured in the book of Acts where God broke through in some powerful ways. I mean, Paul at some point had to turn the corner and say, If suffering means I get to see a Philippian jailer because I'm a citizen of heaven and even though in that moment the jail was open, I didn't run out because I wanted to demonstrate that God's got me and so I stayed put and then I was able to save the life of the one guy that stood in the way, if you will. And then he gave his life to the Lord where just a few minutes ago I was in the stocks. And now I'm celebrating the freedom forever of a Philippian jailer. If suffering results in that sort of freedom, if the loss of my freedom equals their freedom, if if my suffering results in, in their life, then yes. He knows that the Philippians right now are facing that same moment. Any good come out of this suffering, this difficulty? Pressure's heating up. And he says to them, hey, brothers and sisters, I've I've realized now that we've not only been granted to believe in him, but also to get to be able to suffer with him. And I know that's the hard part, but I'm promising you. And he writes it so clearly in other passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where there's this exchange going on that you give up because then someone else gets. He gives up freedom so that others can have freedom. He gives up Um, ease so that others can have ease he he gives up money so that others can have money he's 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 communicating this and he's saying if you'll give up ease and enter into suffering it's so that others can enter into the joy of knowing Jesus Christ he's encouraging you for it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have It's so important for you and I to remember there's one thing, one thing that rules over our life, and it's this. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you and I are going to live in that, we've got to stand together. And if we're going to stand together, that means that we are going to be contending for the gospel together. We are not going to be afraid together. It encourages us in the faith when you talk about those moments of resilience, of being able to stand firm and to see through a difficulty. 
And we'll stand firm as we engage in the same conflict that Paul had then, suffering for Christ, suffering just as our brothers and sisters in North Africa right now are suffering, suffering just as our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria are suffering right now, suffering as our brothers and sisters in North Korea are suffering right now, suffering as our brothers and sisters in China in India and other populous nations are suffering right now. When we engage in that sort of unified struggle, contending for the faith, brothers and sisters, we will stand firm. And so we must refocus. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. We pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you the clarity that this passage gives to us. There's just one thing, that as citizens of heaven, live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. So much is at stake. So much is against this unified stand. We rejoice in this moment because we know that you are for it. And if you be for our unity, then what can stand against it? So, Lord, may we humble ourselves in this moment and together focus on the one thing you've called us to do and the way that you've called us to do it from your word. And, Lord, may your word bring about the purification, the strengthening, and the unity of your body that you so delight in. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.